Welcome to episode 139 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below, and I am so glad to be spending this time with you. Thank you for joining me and my guest, Joe Sanok, as we have a lively conversation about creating a sustainable business that's in alignment with your values and your desired lifestyle. You know how there are times when you're aware of the same message popping up over and over again in a very short period of time? That's happened to me lately around the topic of speaking up, which is something that comes up for introverts a lot. Like, how do I speak up in challenging situations um, when I feel like my voice might be getting crowded out in a larger group? So that that topic has been coming up in different ways, not just in that group setting, but just even how do I speak up with another person, um, you know, another individual. And first, I heard some wisdom from Carrie Egan, who is the author of the new book On Living. She was interviewed recently by Terry Gross for the um, NPR show Fresh Air. And then I heard her a few nights ago in person when she was in Tacoma speaking at a book event. Then the topic popped up again in this week's virtual book discussion. And then this morning, when I read about the death of Greg Lake, who was the guitarist and singer with the group Emerson, Lake & Palmer, the reminder of the importance of speaking up was brought home again. Those all might sound like very random and disconnected occurrences that have nothing to do with each other, but the connections are really clear to me. And after my conversation with Joe, I'll share the story in the spirit of inspiring you to speak up more in your own life. But first, let's get to my conversation with Joe. Joe Sanok is a speaker, mental health counselor, business consultant, and podcaster. He also happens to live in Traverse City, Michigan, where I lived and worked from 2001 to 2008 and still go back on vacation. Joe has the number one podcast for counselors, the Practice of the Practice podcast. With interviews with Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Chris Ducker, Rob Bell, Glennon Doyle Melton, and J.V. Crome III, Joe is a rising star in the speaking world. Joe is a writer for Psych Central, has been featured on Huffington Post, Bustle, and Yahoo News. He is a keynote speaker, author of five books, and is a top consultant. You can learn more about Joe and how to connect with him, as well as find links to his Introvert Island book selections and other resources mentioned in this podcast in the episode show notes at the Introvert Entrepreneur slash podcast. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. It's a delight to be talking with you today. Thanks so much for having me, Beth. Well, what is making you smile today? You know, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and they make me smile every single day. They also make me frown sometimes because, you know, they're little (laughs) kids. Um, But my five-year-old, we were driving to school the other day, and uh, there's a lot going on in American society right now. And my head was thinking about Mm -hmm. all that was happening. uh, And she said, I can't wait to throw a snowball at you. And we live in northern Michigan. And then I said, why? She said, because the snow, it's sparkly and it's glittery and it's so beautiful. And it's like fairies have dusted the ground. And it was just this great moment of she's so optimistic about the future and this northern Michigan winter that's coming soon. Um, and so that really made me smile. Aww. And that actually brings tears to my eyes. That's yeah, I was yeah, it was it was one of those days, you know, post election, everyone has their own feelings around it. And our heads are kind of in the clouds. Yep. And she just like said, you know, I'm so excited for winter. And it's like these sparkles. And it was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. What a gift. Oh, what a sweetie. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. 
and I'm hoping yeah, I can gather absolutely. gather myself. I <laughs> I know kids have that way of just like blindsiding you with like, oh my god. Yeah, it's like wow, where did that come from, and how magical is that? So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, to give our listeners some context as we jump into our conversation, um, where do you feel like you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum? And how has that influenced you professionally? Yeah, I'm definitely on the extrovert. Whenever I've taken uh, like the Myers-Briggs or any of those things, I am a strong uh, extrovert for sure. And I love being around people and that really energizes me. But I'm married to an introvert and we've found Mm -hmm. a lot of ways to balance each other out over the years. Well, I might ask a follow-up question about that. <laughs> yeah, Since, feel free. Because <laughs> um, I know that's one thing that a lot of people, and maybe maybe I'll ask it right now, um, you know, a lot of people kind of uh, feel like they struggle with that, um, both introverts and extroverts. It's not, you know, one side or the other that feels more challenged by it. Um, what have you two learned over the years that's helped you kind of navigate those differences? Yeah, I think early on, so we got married right after I was done with graduate school and I had lived in a house of guys that are like my dearest friends still. So I was always around people. It was an extrovert's paradise. It was this you know, <laughs> wonderful place where I always had someone to talk to and play chess with. And we didn't have a TV, so we interacted a lot. And so then when I got married and it was just the two of us, uh, there'd be times that she'd be like, I just need a break from you. And I took it really personally, as I think a lot of extroverts do. Um, and so for me, I think I had to own what I really wanted out of life. And sometimes that was allowing Christina to have this nothing time and me scheduling times to hang out with my own friends or do my own activities. Uh, We love being around each other. And so it's really hard for either of us to say like, oh, I need some alone time because we just, you know, we want to be around each other. But on on the flip side, I think I've really learned the value of slowing down and how slowing down Uh, has allowed me to really just spark innovation in different ways than if I went at the pace that I used to go when we first got married. And so over 12 years of marriage, uh, I think I've come probably closer to her than she's come closer to me. Mm. Uh, And I think I needed that. I think I was going at a pace that was just not sustainable um, or healthy and and just helped to really slow down. Nice. And I know you've got a, a conference coming up that I believe is called, what is it? The Slowdown Conference or Slowdown School? Yeah, Slowdown School. So summer of 2017, um, we're going to be doing this school. And it, it really came out of Christina and I were walking through the Detroit airport when we were headed off to a conference I was helping to run. And we were just dreaming of like, what would a conference look like that we both would absolutely love? And it started almost as a joke or just like kind of, you know, conversations you have when you're on vacation away from the kids. And and she said, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if we had like coloring books and Play-Doh and just nothing <laughs> time? And I was like, that would drive me nuts. And then I started thinking about it and how much I need that. Mm-hmm. I need to have someone say, put your phone in airplane mode. It's OK. Like nothing's going to fall apart and go take a hike and your best ideas come during that time. And so we've planned out uh, summer of 2017 this what we're calling slowdown school where we're going to slow down for a day and a half do a lot of just purging of all the social media and compulsion to look at our phones and go for hikes and hang out on Lake Michigan and then move into some practices of mindfulness, massage, acupuncture, yoga, those sorts of things. And then the second half is going to be that sparking innovation where we really just kind of take that that fertile soil and say, what ideas have been covered up by the stress in your life? Because mm-hmm. um, we, when we go at this pace, when we're checking email and then we get home and the way we relax is watch Netflix and then check social media, like all those brilliant ideas inside of us kind of get covered up by that stress. And really until we slow down, those those ideas just don't come out. Yeah. And I would say that's, 
even as an introvert who values my alone time and my quiet and my lack of stimulation <laughs> in my environment, I have found actually in the past week, I mean, you know, by the time this is shared with folks, um, it, it'll be a little bit more past the election, but I have basically kind of tuned out, you know, slowed down and quieted all of the obsessive checking of what's going on outside in the world. And you're absolutely right that I found that I don't think I appreciated how much I was absorbed in other people's stories, other people's ideas, and thoughts and opinions. And by turning down the volume on all of that, it's really made space for me to get some clarity on some things that are really important to me. Well, and I think we know that, like the way I'm trained as a counselor also, that the way our brains work is it's constantly trying to preserve energy to help our brains work. And so mm -hmm. if you're constantly thinking about, you know, for a lot of us, it was the election, the hype, you know, the stats and all of that, that's normal. Mm -hmm. But also there's a point when you have to say, is this what I want my brain to be spending its <laughs> calories on? Yep. Or are there things in my business or my family life or some boundaries I can set around that that can really give me a healthier approach to both my business but also my life outside of my business? Yes, yes. You're making me think, I think it's Sherlock Holmes that my husband has shared with me where it's he says something like, there's only so much room in the attic and do I really need to remember? And I think in this case, it was that the earth goes around the sun or yeah. you know, yeah. something like that. You know, it's like really being discerning about what details, what information do I really need to carry around with me? And how much clutter is that creating that I can clear out and make room for other things that are more important? Yeah. And I think it's that whole idea of figuring out what are the things in your business uh, that are really going to move the needle forward and doing those things when you have the most energy, when you are most just at your best. And so for most people, that's going to be, you know, within the first half of the day before all the onslaught of everything that could go mm -hmm. wrong does go wrong when you're fresh and you're ready. So like this morning, um, I had four podcast interviews that I did the intros and outros for, just like nailed it in an hour and 15 minutes because it was the first thing I did. I found myself accidentally checking email when I was looking up one of the guests information. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, what are you doing here, Joe? Um, <laughs> and so it's like you set these boundaries to batch things together to really optimize that time so that you genuinely can slow down when you're with your family and your friends and outside of your business. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what led you to create the practice of the practice. Um, as you said, you're a counselor by training and by profession, but you clearly have a passion for helping people um, build their business. So what was the catalyst that led you to go down that path? So I was working full time at a college and had my mental wellness counseling, which is my counseling practice on the side. I had a couple people working there, I was working maybe five hours a week doing clinical sessions. And I really started to think about if, if I ever wanted to leave that position or wanted to build my income, I had to do something more than just that trading one hour for a certain amount of money. Uh, and so I could either add more clinicians to my practice or I could look at leveling up in different ways. Uh, and I really thought through what my own experience as a counselor had been. And in grad school, we never learned any of the business of running a private practice. And so it had to be all self-taught. And so I just started blogging about what I was learning in the business Read. I would, you know, read a book like Guerrilla Marketing, and then I would say, from a counselor's perspective in a private practice, here are like the big takeaways I have. Here's an affiliate link to it on Amazon. So then I was building some passive income, and over, you know, 2012 or so, I started to build that website. 
Well, so in 2012, my mom was just coming off of having uh, intestinal cancer. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, who was born in 2011, had been diagnosed with a heart problem that we knew she was going to have to have open heart surgery in right before her first birthday in May of 2012. And I had this little blog kind of going on the side. I'm working full time. So I'm working, you know, 45, 50 hours a week. And then two weeks after my daughter's successful heart surgery, and she's fine now, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Mm -hmm. And then I'm in the midst of doing all this thyroid cancer um, down in Texas, and my mom has a heart attack, and then my wife has a miscarriage, and then our best friend gets, one of our best friends gets breast cancer. Oh, my. And it's just like, it was one of those years where it just all hit the fan. And when I showed up to do the blog or when I went and did counseling, I had to ask myself, why am I spending time on this instead of with my daughter that's about to have heart surgery? Or why am I spending time reading this business book and blogging about it when I'm about to have my thyroid removed for cancer? Mm -hmm. And so it really started to put a lot of things in perspective where the amount of time that I was spending on my career and having a full-time job and the side gig that was, you know, by the end of 2012, 10 to 15 hours a week, I, I moved from thinking of practice of the practice as this side gig to just, you know, pay off student loans and things like that to this really could be my new lifestyle that if I amp this up and do really good content for counselors that want to grow private practices, um, I could design my life in a way that matches what I want to get out of it in regards to my family and my friends and the pace that I go. And so that really that 2012, um, you know, I never wish it on anybody, <laughs> but it gave me such clarity on what's the most important things to be spending my time on and like, what does my future hold? Uh, which then allowed me to then shift to see that really tough time of work as being more of a sprint to be a chapter in my life rather than my unsustainable lifestyle. Yeah, really letting your your values come to the fore and leading with those. Um, sounds like it's it was a that was that was a powerful part of it. Absolutely, it, just allowing uh, what my wife and I decided we wanted our life to look like to be. Mm -hmm the end goal rather than just kind of spinning our wheels. Yeah. How do you, what, what practices have you found that have helped you to kind of manage all of those? Because as you've said, you know, you have two small children, you've got your own counseling practice, you have the practice of the practice. My head spins a little bit just hearing all of that. So <laughs> what, what, what have you done to make sure that it stays in the spirit of the way you created it, which was, you know, I want to be spending my time on the things that are most important. Yeah. So I think it's been a process. And I think for most people it is where you kind of whittle away and set up some boundaries and see how they work. Uh, when I was at my full time job, we always set that we always had that Saturday was going to be kind of our Sabbath from me working. So I wasn't going to be reading about business. I wasn't going to be thinking about business. Even if I was, I had to like push that down mm -hmm. that I was going to be present for the family. I wasn't going to check email. It's really easy to get into that kind of hustle mentality when you're looking at leaving your full time job for a side gig. And so right away, we kind of set up this idea of a Sabbath uh, that we genuinely take time to connect as a family. Uh, and then when I left my full time job in the summer of 2015, I started taking Fridays off just to see if I could have that same like workflow in four days as I had in five days before. And there's you know exceptions here and there. But for the most part, I was doing a four day work week. And then that worked fine and we were going to experiment just for the summer, but we did that all through 2015 and into 2016. And then in the summer of 2016, I said, well, what if I took Mondays off also and tried mm -hmm. to pack in those three days of work, you know, that used to be over five days. And I found that I got more done. My income continued to go up because 
I was so refreshed when I came in, like I just hit the ground running. I had these ideas as I'm driving into work on that Tuesday morning. Uh, people were just ready to work. It, it was just, it lit something up in me that I wasn't able to do in that four or five days. So I think starting with time boundaries, uh, you know, work we know expands to the time that we give them. And mm -hmm. so I, I genuinely can focus in on the things that are most important for moving the business forward. And then I can outsource and delegate the things that other people can do. Yeah, you're really demonstrating one of those pieces of freedom that we have as entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, self-employed that we can decide I'm going to work three days instead of five, or I'm going to work a five hour work day or something. I think sometimes we forget that because it's so ingrained that it's like you work Monday through Friday, nine to five, or we tend to stretch it out over that time knowing that there's freedom, but we, maybe I should say I can feel like I'm stretching it out, but I'm sort of nickel and diming my time and not getting that kind of intense focus that I would like. And so therefore, I end up more exhausted than I would if, like you're saying, I was able to sort of consolidate that time that I was concentrating my energy. And then when I'm off, I'm really off. Right, right. Well, I think so many people, when they launch their own side gig that turns into a job or a career, uh, they view it as I've just given myself another job. And so I have to mm -hmm. work 40 yeah. or 50 hours. And there's a lot of fear that sometimes, especially with new entrepreneurs, I see uh, where it's all going to fall apart. And it may, you know, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> part of it that there is that risk. Uh, but did you give yourself a job or did you give yourself a lifestyle? Mm -hmm. And to me, it was more important to say, what kind of lifestyle do I want first? What kind of income goals do we have? Do those two match? If not, I either need to start charging more, offer different products, maybe, you know, once in a while work on a Monday. Um, but that's where you're starting with that kind of end game in mind, rather than just being reactionary where, oh, oh I get these emails, I guess I have to reply to them. Yeah. Maybe you don't need to, maybe you need to set some boundaries with with the people that work with you or work for you. Yeah, we teach people how to treat us is uh, kind of where I've landed with that. And, uh, and when you start to notice patterns in the way people are responding to you, it's often an opportunity to turn back and say, well, what am I telling them about how to respond to me? <laughs> exactly. I think that's a great point, Beth, because I think about when I transitioned off of working Mondays, uh, if my counseling uh, clinicians here, if they texted me or called me or something, if it wasn't an emergency, I'd say I'm going to be back in the office on Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to take care of this then. If this is a pressing need, just let me know. And so what a year ago, people often would have been contacting me over and over. They now know that Tuesday I come in, I'm going to address their concerns sometime on Tuesday, and it can probably wait until Tuesday. Whereas if they do have a genuine emergency, you know, like, you know, we had this big jug of water that, you know, spilled in five gallons of water. Like, of course, I have to help figure out how we get the maintenance people in there. Mm -hmm. They then contact me for those things. So then when one of my uh, clinicians contacts me, I know that there's a genuine concern because I've, I've really demonstrated for them how to contact me when and where to do that. Yeah. And they trust you, it sounds like. They trust that when they do, and you say it'll take be taken care of Tuesday morning, that it will be taken care of Tuesday morning. Exactly. <laughs> and that goes a long way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to, while I have you, I have, you know, I was having this interesting conversation last night with a colleague and she's a consultant. So I'm a coach, she's a consultant, you're a counselor. And I feel like we all probably have some similar challenges, especially when it comes to talking about um, what we do and, and how we do it and what people can expect from it. So in this conversation with the colleague, she asked me, what's the promise that you make to your clients? And I found that that was a challenging question because when 
you know, we're in a, we're in the service business. And so much of what happens or doesn't happen is dependent on the client taking action. You know, there's, there's not much that we can promise people that they want to hear. Like, I can't promise you're going to increase your revenue by X number of dollars or other outcomes that might be appealing, um, because a lot of that depends on the action that the client takes. So I'm curious about what you think of that question in terms of what's the promise that you make and what, you know, kind of what's your experience with that part of the marketing message? Yeah, I think it's probably one of the central questions that coaches and entrepreneurs, business owners can ask themselves because we're always as humans looking for some sort of transformation. Yep. You know, if a plumber comes to your house, like you want your toilet transformed from flooding into your house <laughs> to working again. Mm-hmm. So all businesses are offering some sort of transformation and being able to quickly articulate that to people uh, is really important. So for me, I say I help counselors to plan, start and grow private practices. Uh, but how I might drill into that is before my consulting clients work with me, oftentimes they're overwhelmed, there's kind of a chaotic view, they're responding to things in their private practice uh, that they're not sure if they should spend their time responding to. Uh, But after we start working together, they have a clear plan as to exactly what they need to be doing next to move that needle forward, and they have confidence in doing that. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm doing in those sentences is really painting a before and after. Like, What is the pain that my client comes in with, my consulting client in that case, and what's the outcome of the service? services. So in my counseling practice, it might be I work with parents who are getting constant phone calls from the principal to know how to handle their son or daughter's behavior so that they can have a better relationship with their school and their son or daughter can be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and so really painting that out. Um, and so there may be things that we can't promise, uh, but we can look at what's the average day like uh, for someone before they start consulting or coaching with us and what's it usually like afterward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you really start to tap into the transformation that you you're helping those people go through. Yeah, I love that thinking of that as the before and after. And and that's one of those places I think especially coaches tend to feel challenged is tapping into pain points. We tend to jump to the aspiration and the transformation and forget to meet people where they're at. And what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, highlighting that making sure that we are acknowledging and honoring that piece as a before state of being is important to being able to articulate what that promise is. Absolutely. And I think part of to be able to do that, you have to really understand your ideal client. And so if you haven't sketched out who am I trying to attract, Mm -hmm. you're not going to attract your ideal client. And so really understanding what's their life like. And so for the counselors or coaches that I work with, helping them paint out their ideal client. What are the stresses? Where do they spend their time on the weekends? What do they fight with their partner about? Mm-hmm. Those are things that if you haven't taken the time to do is the very first spot to say, what's what's the stress here that I'm going to help them work through? What's the uncertainty? Um, because we really got to set ourselves up as the guide and not the one that's uh, the, the great person. It's like mm-hmm. we're teaching our clients mm-hmm. to become the awesome heroes and we're, we're the Yoda that walks them through how to become you know, the next Jedi Knight. Uh, and you know, Donald Miller, he has a whole podcast on that, that he does an amazing job kind of walking through how you do that with clients. Um, and so I would say for me, it's really learning to set yourself up as the guide and not the hero is a really important factor to take in. Absolutely. I always speak of myself as witness and, and also guide and to go even further, like almost midwifing, you know, I'm not having the baby, sure. but I'm helping you have the baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, so I appreciate that. 
because that can really when you look yeah, at go ahead you look at so many entrepreneurs websites and you know their about page it's like all about them and their main page is i'm so great and it's like setting themselves up as the expert but it's not connecting with the ideal client and showing that transformation because anytime someone comes to a website they're only asking themselves two questions one am i in the right place mm-hmm. and two can this person help me and so the quicker you can help people understand if they're in the right place and can you help them transform into what they want the quicker you're going to be able to get those clients absolutely well i have a sense that you've probably already touched on the answer to my next question but i'm going to ask it anyway <laughs> and that's you know what gets in the way of even an outstanding coach or counselor or service provider from building a sustainable private practice yeah i, I think that one of the really big things is they they get sucked into that black hole of email, social media, um, just the things that aren't necessarily important for moving that needle forward. And it can be the needle that moves forward. So if I get an email from someone saying, how do I do consulting with you? That's a very important email to respond to. Someone asking me to get coffee that might be a potential referral source, that may be more in the middle where I kind of think about it and think about whether I need to partner with that person right now or whether that's even worth it for my time from just a time standpoint. So new coaches, new consultants, new counselors oftentimes don't really think about that end that they're working towards. So that could be I want to have my first six-figure year. I want to leave my full-time job. I want whatever the goal is, thinking through what does it take to do that and then spending your time on that is probably the first step. Mm -hmm. And then building content and building supports around that goal would be the next step. Mm -hmm. So building content, say a little bit more about what's an example. Sure. So... If you're doing coaching, for example, uh, what you want to make sure you do is that you're building content that supports what you do in those coaching sessions because people do a lot of research before they ever contact you to work with you. And so if you're helping anxious women to be confident in the workplace through your coaching, you want to create content, blog posts, infographics that you can put on Pinterest, uh, social media, Mm -hmm. and have that be out there to demonstrate your skills well before that person ever uh, comes to your website. So that could be an ebook that's a collection of a bunch of your blog posts that walk that hypothetical anxious woman through the process of how do I get more confidence in the workplace. And so looking at that ideal client, what are the questions that kind of surround them that if you could help them work through before they ever talked to you, Mm -hmm. uh, if you can figure that out, then it makes your coaching so much more effective because that person then has built that rapport with you well before you've ever talked to them. Yeah, absolutely. And then when they come to you, they're already, it's like the pump is primed and they already know, they've self-selected to some degree. Like the, the better you are at putting out that content, the more qualified, for lack of a better word of putting it, they're going to be when they finally reach out to you. Absolutely. So by the time somebody does our pre-consulting phone call, they already know the price range per month. They already know Mm -hmm. um, that it's going to be a six-month contract. They already have watched testimonials of people because they can't schedule that 30-minute time without going to that page uh, that outlines all of that. And then even when they schedule, mm-hmm. I have a click box that says, I understand that consulting rates are this much per month to this much per month, mm-hmm. depending on your catered consulting package. I used to be really scared to share my prices. But now when I get yeah. on that 30 minute phone call, I have about an 80% conversion rate. So it saves me a ton of time because people that show up, they're, they're ready to pay. It's just figuring out what are we going to put within that package? Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I know that that's a point of, I, at least around coaches, it's a big point of conversation of do you post your rates or not? Does that tend to also be the case with counselors? I think it's a little less, I think it, people definitely discuss it as counselors. 
counselors. And I think it's less important for counselors to do that because a lot of counselors' prices are going to be within about the same ballpark. You may be twice as much as, as expensive, uh, sure. but it, in, with coaches, so often the range can be just so much greater. And oh, so yeah. with my with my consulting, I have a bunch of different e-products I can include in those packages. And so for me, it's important that people know that before we spend that 30 minutes. Whereas in, in actual uh, counseling, I haven't seen that to be as much of the case to be necessary to post your prices. Right, right. Well, I'm with you in that I know I do post mine and and admittedly, they usually have been a little bit buried. And so when someone comes to a call and they say, yes, I've already downloaded that that price sheet, I have this huge sense of relief. <laughs> On multiple levels, mm, and yeah. it's usually those that that conversion rate is usually higher when they come to that call with that information. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm glad to hear um, your perspective on that. Yeah, and if people want to look at my page just to see how I've structured it, it's just practiceofthepractice.com yeah. forward slash consulting, and it my price range is right at the very top above the fold. Uh, so prices range from, and then I have it right there. Nice, excellent transparency. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I have a million other questions, <laughs> but <laughs> I know your time is valuable and and uh, we've just gotten started. So perhaps we can have a follow up conversation sometime in the in, in 2017. That would be wonderful. Touch on some more things. But before I let you go, I am waving a magic wand. And I'm granting you a three week vacation on introvert island. And I know as an extrovert, that may or may not sound like a good thing. But it's yours to take if you wish. And you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? Yeah, so uh, my mind immediately went to, well, I probably wouldn't read it. I'd want to like build a giant fort and then I'd like make a hammock <laughs> out of vines and then I'd like do an art project. And so it's funny to think about bringing yep. books, but I would definitely bring a sketch pad uh, just to document the experience. Mm. I'm sure that in slowing down, I would have ideas. My mind would wander in a lot of kind of different ways. So for me, having a big sketch pad uh, to be able to draw and to journal, and I think that'd be so interesting to go back to uh, in the future. So I would definitely bring that as one of my books. Uh, and then two other books, uh, they're books that I started and was really fascinated by, but never like took the time to do, um, is The People's History of the United States. I started that book, mm -hmm. and then I, I think I gave it to someone to read, and then I never got it back. And so I wouldn't want like a, a fiction book that I could just tear through in a day like that kind of heavier thinking book that's historical I'd be interested in more than like the typical business books I read yep. and then uh, the other book I would read would be 1421 which is uh, this the story of how China discovered America and uh, kind of the ships that came across and this whole hypothesis of people being here before uh, Columbus came mm. and so that was a book that I started that I think is buried in a box somewhere and haven't taken the time to read so I'd read those those three books or those two books and then document my experiences in my journal. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can people get in touch with you and learn about you have the podcast the practice of the practice. And, um, and please remind us about how we can get information about slowdown school. Yeah, so slowdownschool.com is the best spot to go for the slowdown school. I'm going to be releasing a three part video series that's going to be informational about how to slow down. And then I'm also going to be going through some goal setting and outsourcing in those videos. So when you opt in, those videos are going to be released in early 2017. The videographers are still editing them. Uh, and then the podcast and everything else is over at practiceofthepractice.com. Great. Well, it's been fantastic talking with you, Joe. Thank you so much for your generous sharing. And um, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Beth, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. 
Remember to check the episode show notes for links to Joe's websites and social media pages, and look for his podcast, The Practice of the Practice, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. If you've kicked into gift-giving mode, and we are getting closer and closer to Christmas and the new year, there are a few things that introverts love more than a good book. And books are more than just the paper and glue, or letters on a screen, or words in your ear. They offer inspiration and empowering information, and often just the nudge we need to take the next steps towards our goals. That's my intention with my latest book, The Introvert Entrepreneur. And so I invite you to consider it as a gift for the introvert entrepreneur or the introvert professional in your life. You can get your copy online through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, or through your independent bookseller. Basically, you can get it wherever fine books are sold. And um, as I'm recording this on December 8th, I believe it is, 2016, there's still time to order it um, for delivery by the um, Christmas holidays and the new year. It's available as a softcover, ebook, and in audiobook editions. If you want to experience that book in community, I'll be starting a new virtual book group in January, on January 18th to be exact. We are just wrapping up our fall virtual book groups, and I have had so much fun with the people that have been participating, and I've learned as much from them as I hope that they have learned from being part of the group. Um, registration for that virtual book group that starts on January 18th is now open, and the link to learn more is in the show notes. And while you're there, check out options for one one-on-one coaching and consulting that I offer that can support you in making 2017 your most successful year ever. I promise to share a bit about that introvert challenge, or at least the challenge that's there for many of us, and not even only introverts, but sometimes extroverts as well. And that's the challenge of speaking up when speaking up is hard to do. There are three parts to this story, and I'll make them as quick as I can. The first part of the story has to do with an interview that I heard with author Carrie Egan on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And Carrie's book is called On Living, and it's basically a memoir and a series of stories about her experiences as a hospice chaplain and a hospital chaplain. And it's not so much about death as it is about what it means to be alive and, and what we can do to make the most of the time that we have. And one of the questions that Terry asked Carrie was about last words. And do we put, you know, too much emphasis on them? Or what is what is our fascination with people's last words before they die? And Carrie, I'm not going to try to attempt to relate everything she shared, but she made this excellent point that final words are there's, there's a lot of pressure there, you know, <laughs> they're the last thing you're going to say on this earth. And people tend to put a lot of artificial importance on it, both from the perspective of the person who is ill and, and dying, or the person that is listening to them, you know, their loved ones and the people closest to them. And she said, it's nothing like it is in the movie, you know, dying is nothing like it is in the movies. People's last words probably are not going to be profound, or confessional, or, you know, all these other romanticized things that we have in our heads, because of Hollywood and television and and everything that we see in the media. 
And her point was, you know, don't wait until you're on your deathbed and assume that you're going to have the energy or the time or the space or the right people are going to be there for you to say that profound thing that you've been wanting to say, or that it's suddenly going to come to you at that last minute, or that you'll get to finally say, I love you, or I'm sorry, or please forgive me. She said, say those things now. You know, every day we have that chance to say those final words. And because we really don't know what words we speak will be our final ones. So make sure that your words count and don't hold back if you have something important to say. I really appreciated that message. And then that idea of speaking up came up again in one of the virtual book groups that I'm hosting right now, where a member was talking about one of the challenges that she has, especially when it comes to collaborating or partnering with other people, is this idea of making sure that we speak up early and often when it comes to sharing our needs and our expectations and our hopes for what a collaboration might entail. And, you know, that that extends, of course, to other introvert conversations I've had about being part of a larger group or being in a meeting and saying, I'm not sure how to speak up. I'm not sure how to make my voice heard. And it strikes me that we all share that fear of, of speaking up. We all share that vulnerability. So why do we sort of pretend that we have to be super bold and strong and courageous when most of us, and like I said, introverts and extroverts alike, can struggle with it? You know, why can't we admit that vulnerability and just say what it is? And, and we might say, you know, I feel a little nervous about this. But, you know, to, to kind of take heart and find courage in the fact that probably everyone has some anxiety about speaking up. You are not alone in that fear. And can you use that information to help you speak up more? And that brings me to the third part of this story where I mentioned Greg Lake, um, who I just saw this morning um, has passed away at age 69, I believe from cancer. And um, that connection goes back 20 years when my husband, my now husband, was he was a colleague at work. And at some point, um, close to the time when I was almost finished with my um, engagement with the organization that we both worked at, he made it known that he was interested in dating me. (laughs) And at the time, I was dating someone else, also named Andy, (laughs) actually. And um, he told me, you know, we he would walk me home sometimes because our apartments were not far from each other from the office. And one time he said, you know something, you're with the wrong Andy. And that took a lot of guts to just say that, um, to put that out there. I, I still look back and admire the courage of his speaking up. And he made a mixtape for me. For those of you, that kind of dates me, doesn't it? But <laughs> 20 years ago, he made this mixtape for me of favorite songs. And one of them that he included was from Greg Lake, and it's called Watching Over You. And I remember playing that tape in my apartment and hearing that song, and I don't think I'd ever heard it before, and and crying and and thinking this, you know, there's, he's, he's speaking to me through this mixtape. <laughs> Andy is, that is. And, um, you know, we all ascribe certain messages, you know, secret hidden messages in, in the songs and verses and poems that people share with us. But um, it was in that moment that I knew that I needed to um, 
break up with the person that I was seeing and start seeing Andy. And that's exactly what I did. So a few years later, we actually were at an Emerson Lake and Palmer concert in Milwaukee and had a chance. I'm not sure how it was arranged, but we got to go backstage and and meet Emerson Lake and Palmer. And I remember thinking, oh, I really want to tell Greg Lake how much his song, Watching Over You, meant to me, and how I, I kind of give it credit for this turning point in my relationship with Andy that caused me to say, yeah, he's somebody that I want to date. But I kind of chickened out. <laughs> I got a little bit you know, self-conscious and decided not to say anything to Greg. Um, and now that I know that he's passed away, I'm, I'm saying thank you now. Um, you know, it's never too late to do that. And I'm finding myself even getting a little choked up thinking about it because, it, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody's famous. It doesn't matter if you think that they're too important or that they don't need your affirmation. Oh, they don't need for me to thank them. They must hear this all the time. Um, you know, but you you just never know what is going on with someone. You never know when your thank you is just exactly what they need to hear in that moment to help them keep going when they're tired or or just even if they're feeling good, it helps them feel even better. So all of that is to say, to remember, you know, to, to speak up. You know, if you have something to say, say it. If it's a feeling or a thought that's coming from love, say it now and say it without any hesitation. If it's painful or it might hurt someone, be thoughtful and really intentional about how you put it out there. But still, say it. And if it's scary, just admit it. Say, this isn't easy for me to share or it isn't easy for me to ask. Or I'm a bit nervous putting this out there. Or I feel like I'm taking a risk in saying this. Remember that we all feel vulnerable at times about speaking up and asking a tough question or making a suggestion when we're not sure how it's going to be received. The alternative is not saying anything at all. And that is a disservice to you and to the ideas that you have and to the people that you're with. And just because others make it look easy to speak up and voice their opinions and questions doesn't mean that it is easy. They might be shaking on the inside too, or worry that they'll regret having said anything at all. So doing it doesn't mean that it's easy or that it will ever feel easy. But if you have a suggestion or a question or a piece of feedback, or you simply want to say thank you, or I love you, or I'm grateful to you, feel the fear and do it anyway. I suspect if I were talking to Carrie Egan right now about this, she'd say that you regret more the things you didn't say than the things you did. So with that in mind, I want to extend a super special thank you to Paul Messing, my podcast producer who um, is always uh, at the ready and willing to do his, his best to make this all sound great. And to my assistant, Naja, who writes up the program show notes and does a great job of capturing the highlights. You can find those show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. And I'm especially grateful to you um, for joining me for this episode. I really feel that in my heart. And I hope that you find it time well spent every time that you join me. 
Um, if you did enjoy this time, I would really appreciate it if you would do me the honor of speaking up and leaving a review on iTunes or sharing this episode with your colleagues and friends. That's the highest compliment that I can get. So thank you for considering that request. This is Beth Below of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. <laughs>